Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading, and I'm joined, as ever, by my colleague, Kelsey Zeiser. Hello, Kelsey. Hello, Phil. How's things? Pretty good. Awesome. Finally seeing some fall weather. Yes, indeed. We're getting rain here in Texas, which oh, nearly boo. never happens. But <laughs> it's a, it is a sign that the seasons are changing. <laughs> I thought you were going to say sign of the end times or something. <laughs> no, there's there's so many signs of that. I don't even have to add, I don't even have to count them anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, speaking of the end times, uh, uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, this is like a poor, uh, what is it? A poor segue. Uh, uh, this is my my my. My uh, ability, my ability to make segues has definitely suffered uh, in in the pandemic. But um, uh, but we do have a guest today, so we don't have to talk about the end times entirely. <laughs> um, who's, who's joining? Yeah, today's guest is uh, Sue Graham Johnston. She's the president of One Twenty Eight Technologies. Um, so we talked to her a little bit about um, how the culture change may happen with um, Juniper's announced acquisition of 128. Um, also dive into some security concerns uh, for enterprises now that you know so many people are working from home and how to develop those security strategies and mm-hmm. um, round it out with a discussion about women in comms and um, you know is work-life balance even a thing anymore? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's a, that's sadly, that's a, that's a, an incredibly pertinent question. And, and yeah, it's in her, her answer on that was, 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 uh, interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but, but back to the security thing too. I mean, 128, I, really all the companies that are in this space that are making, you know, virtual routing session based security and session based quality of service over enterprise networks mm-hmm. are really fun. You know, this is their heyday right now because mm-hmm. the entire world and the, the the construct of work has has really changed and definitely favored those solutions that um, you know were more flexible and not as tied to a specific kind of hardware and right. and all of that stuff. So I, yeah, I do think it's it's uh, great to to be able to talk to folks and kind of get the a, l- a little bit more you know detail on the, you know from the business side on on how that how that's been working and how it fits into the bigger picture at Juniper. Right. Yeah. Definitely a good time to be a company that's um, thinking outside the box. <laughs> right. Literally the box. <laughs> Man, just just knocking them down, Kelsey. Yeah. All Ten right. points. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's let's not let's not screw up the momentum anymore. Let's uh, let's go straight into the interview uh, with Sue Graham Johnston of One Twenty Eight Technology. This podcast is sponsored by Nokia, proud builder of IP and optical communications infrastructure, the beating heart of the networks that keep us all going. Nokia IP and Optical, the foundation for what's to come. Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. Joining us on the podcast today is uh, the president of 128 Technology, Sue Graham Johnston. Hi, Sue. How are you? Hi, Phil. I'm doing great. Hi, Kelsey. Nice to join you guys here on the podcast. Hi, Larry. Um, we, we know that 128 Tech uh, has been um, in the news quite a bit lately because of uh, its uh, uh, forthcoming acquisition with uh, uh, from Juniper Networks. And in that space, I guess my <laughs> first question is, from your customer's point of view, what, what changes about, um, you know, their experience with 128 and and how it sort of fits into you know the enterprise network. 
Yeah. Um, so obviously we're in the in the period right now between having signed a definitive agreement. It hasn't closed yet, so we're still we're still sort of talking in theor- theoretical terms, I guess. Uh, you know, that being said, it has been a newsworthy week for us. Um, and one of the one of the things that I loved was a a, a blog that Tom Knoll wrote. And, uh, you know, he said a lot of great things about us. But what I really loved is the way he captured the essence of the networking industry. And he said mm-hmm. that the goal was never to make networks about sites or traffic, but to make networks about facilitating relationships relationships between people, between people and applications, and even between application components. And that's the way we see ourselves in the network. So we've developed a session-oriented router, and you know that you know every application, every service, our call right now is a session. And so that's how we're all experiencing the digital environment. And we started the company with this premise that if the router understood sessions, then we could deliver a really incredible user experience because we'd understand how that user was actually experiencing the network and experiencing the applications. And Juniper has a very congruent view. So with Juniper's MIST technology, with their focus on AI and the AI-driven enterprise, they're really all about, you know, what is that individual user's experience how is it doing and how can AI really drive a better experience for that user? So expansively, we both see this client to cloud connectivity as being you know, the new universe that we're all in. And we've been approaching it from the WAN side. They've been approaching it from the Wi-Fi side. And so right. it's just a terrific congruence of our worldviews and what that can create for customers in a truly end-to-end client-to-cloud universe. And as a Juniper goes along, just as a follow-up, there's been, once they bought Mist systems, they, they started looking at um, how to expand and apply that AI capability uh, in different parts of the network. So this does seem to fit right in, this idea of uh, looking at the networking experience down to the session level, as opposed to just well, we're delivering this many bits and they're coming through at this speed and, you know, the, the kind of uh, blunt force routing um, that, uh, that's that been around for a while. I also have to comment that Tom Knoll has been around since the first network was built. Um, and, and he, he <laughs> and he's, I, I, I always love reading his blog and he, he would uh, um, uh, delight in me uh, pointing that out, that, uh, <laughs> that, that he's, he's, a, he's a very astute observer of the industry. Yeah, and I think part of why we were able to create a new paradigm is, you know, the networking industry really hadn't changed in so long. I mean, it was a a software concept overlaid on the same legacy structure, and nobody had really rethought how networking should happen in a modern kind of cloud-defined, virtualized, mobile world. Um, and, and so, you know, we were able to just drive a ton of innovation. We have about 50 patents and that just tells you how little innovation had happened in this space in the last 25 years. Um, so yeah, you know, Tom's been around, a lot of people have been around since the early days, but we're excited to, to really help change the game. One thing we've also been talking about on the podcast frequently is um, zero trust remote access. And, you know, of course, a lot of people are now working from home. 
Um, have you received more customer demand or interest for a zero trust approach to their network? Or has that a tr- been a trend that you've seen, um, you know, steadily increasing for a while? Yeah, Kelsey, great question. Uh, you know, from our point of view, it's part of an ongoing trend. And, and back to that concept of cloud and mobility, I mean, there is no concept of perimeter security. And, and whatever vague concept we thought we had of perimeter security has just disappeared mm-hmm. with COVID. So, you know, we, we started early days with um, a concept of, of security that was baked into our product, not kind of painted on the perimeter. And it's, it's about how we actually do the networking at a very granular level. Uh, and so, you know, what we're seeing is as enterprises are reacting to these work from home requirements and increasingly relying on the network, zero trust security has become a leading topic in the conversations. Um, Microsoft is a partner of ours and they, they released a survey in August um, of a, a broad swath of companies. And they found that 94% of companies are in the process of deploying zero trust capabilities and half of those companies are speeding up their deployments. So the zero trust architecture that we've been on about since we created the company six years ago is really going to become the default standard uh, because you know these perimeters are gone, the trust zones are changing, everybody's you know moving to a VPN-based uh, environment, but that's just increased the attack surface. So everybody, you know, every day you see a headline about new vulnerabilities in VPNs. Uh, and so zero trust security is, is not new, um, but the security strategies like SASE, like micro segmentation, granular security, all of these have just become top of mind for organizations. In that vein, what are some other um, critical security or compliance standards that you've been um, discussing with um, enterprise customers? Um, What are some critical security um, features that they should adhere to in their networks? I think if you think about security as a compliance activity, you're actually missing the bigger picture. So for me, security starts with the strategy. You know, what are your crown jewels? Is it source code? Is it patient data? Is it financial information or financial assets? Is it plant control systems? You know, start with what you need to protect and then think about how do you protect that asset from being compromised? You know, if you're struggling with a framework, there are some great best practice standards like NIST, um, you know, GDPR for personal data, and those can provide kind of a way to structure your thinking through it. Um, but in my last role, I actually managed um, a large number of industrial facilities. And in those sites, you know, if something went wrong, people died. And so you thought a lot about physical security and the security of your systems and preventing them from being compromised. And we used to talk about layers of protection. And layers of protection starts with the premise that no matter what you're doing, it has its flaws. So think of each thing you do as like a slice of Swiss cheese. It's got holes in it. And so your objective should be to stack those layers of Swiss cheese so that you don't have any through holes. And I think that's the way we should think about network security. So start with what needs to be protected and what are my strategies and tools for protecting it? You know, products like ours close some holes in the network security layer. 
but you need to put things on top of that to really address the whole. Um, and so back to your question on compliance, you know, if you've got credit card data, obviously you need to comply with PCI DSS standards. If you have healthcare data or patient data, you need to comply with, with HIPAA, but none of these standards are really going to tell you exactly what to do. They will punish you if you fail to comply. <laughs> so, you know, nobody Sounds wants- like filing your taxes a little bit. <laughs> they won't tell you how, but you know, you'll get dinged later if you don't do it right. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, here's the answer. What was the question? Um, <laughs> but, you know, so really when I talk to enterprises, um, you know, whether they're for profits, nonprofits, large or small, it starts with, you know, what, what are you trying to protect? And then I think when you think about that and you think about how you build a security framework around that you do two things. One is you think about these through holes and how do you prevent them from happening? But the other is you don't overinvest. And that sounds bizarre in a situation where everybody's compliance budgets are going up, security budgets are going up. But you know what we see is you know, take something as simple as encryption. If you start double encrypting, triple encrypting traffic, you just incur overhead burdens on it. So then you need more infrastructure. Then you need more bandwidth. And so your costs just layer on top. But if you think about what you need to do and how you need to do it, you, you can be more surgical and actually more effective in your approach to overall security. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So I guess you can, um, sounds like you can overdo it and um, you need a more targeted approach to security. And I think having those strategies helps you do that. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, if you only have a budget and not a lot of staff probably err on the side of overdoing it than underdoing it. <laughs> uh, but I think if you have the, the uh, you know, luxury of having a smart IT team, really have your team be more strategic in how they approach security and, and not just a one size fits all solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so wanted to switch gears a little bit and discuss some um, women in comms um, focused issues. Um, what are your thoughts on how the pandemic has um, changed uh, opportunities for women in the industry or also managing that that work life balance? Um, has it made things um, easier? Are there new challenges? What are your thoughts there? I'm going to have a really schizophrenic answer to this, Kelsey. <laughs> I, I think that fits the time. So, so yeah, fine. exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I, let me start with the opportunities because I'm always going to start with the sunny side of the equation. Um, I, you know, I certainly have enjoyed, and I think most of us have enjoyed getting all that time back from commuting. And I think the other thing was, you know, as a, a country and frankly, a global economy, we were thrust into this remote work environment with almost no preparation and, and uh, you know, rather incomplete solutions. And we've been surprisingly effective. Um, I think, you know, when I talk to my team, when I talk to colleagues in other companies, you know, I'm hearing a lot of great things about how effective teams are being. Uh, and, you know, when I talk to a number of, of my female colleagues, maybe more broadly in the technology industry, not just in communications, but they're getting a lot of new opportunities. So, you know, just this last week, I spoke to four female executives, one here in Boston, one in Seattle, one in the Bay Area, and one in Germany. And all of them 
are getting inbound requests from other companies. So there's a vibrant startup community um, still around and, and lots of companies I think are looking for new ideas and new leadership. So that's all the good stuff. You know, uh, now I'll go into the, 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 you know, uh, maybe it's more manic depressive than schizophrenic. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'll go into the depressive side of the oh, equation, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, women were already working a double shift. Mm-hmm. Um, so our plates were more full to begin with, uh, whether it's just, uh, you know, housekeeping and, and those sorts of items, but particularly for uh, women who have kids at home. Uh, because, you know, when we made the decision to send everybody work from home, it was literally the day all the schools and daycares closed because it was just unfathomable to have people in the office uh, while their kids couldn't go to school or go to daycare. Uh, and so what you're seeing is that burden of child caring or homeschooling is increasingly falling on women. Mm-hmm. So McKinsey does a survey every year of women in the workplace. And this year's survey came out in September and they indicated that one in four women were considering either downshifting or leaving the workplace entirely. Mm-hmm. So I think on a good day in communications, if we round up, we probably have about 20% women in the industry and in certain roles in the industry, it's far less. So even contemplating losing a quarter of the women just to today's reality is really sobering. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, but again, that comes with a bit of a silver lining. Everybody I know is enjoying spending more time with the kids, but the, the burdens and I think the, the uh, challenges and, and the workforce implications are, are falling primarily on the women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly a, a- quite a bit to manage, um, as you said, between trying to do your own work and then um, help kids with schooling. And there's also this sort of always on mentality of, um, yeah, you know, you could work evenings or during the weekends, which I mean, some people were doing anyway, but even more so when you don't have that commute and um, you can work from anywhere in your home. Yeah, I certainly found part of why I, I wasn't a huge work from home fan before the pandemic was I just find it hard to draw those boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, if my commute is from my bedroom to the office and, <laughs> you know, my breaks are from the office to the kitchen to get coffee, um, you know, the, the workday just has this way of becoming unbounded. And um, I find it very hard to turn that off when I'm walking past the door and the computer's on. And I'm like, oh, I forgot to send that email. Um, and I think, you know, both men and women share that challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly for women, I think the additive responsibilities have really put a lot of women at the breaking point where they just have to choose. And and that's going to have long time implications for not only our industry, but I think all industries. Yeah, indeed. Um, a couple of quick follow ups. Uh, one of them is patently silly just because you mentioned it, um, your commute. Uh, do you actually drive 128, the road that's that your company's <laughs> named after, um, to get to to get to work? I I do actually for a short <laughs> period okay. of time, but I I do I commute out of Boston up to Burlington, and part of that is on Route 128. And I'm glad you actually know kind of the heritage of the name of the company because oftentimes when I get off this coast, I have to do a little of explaining of you know Route 128 <laughs> and the origin of America's technology highway. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I, I've 
uh, talk to uh, Mr. Ori about that at some point um, lo- long ago when the company was was still trying to keep it a big secret what they were working on. Um, the uh, uh, the next follow up was um, about your previous career, and so I mean, you, you mentioned you know uh, recruiting, being recruit, you know people being recruited into different uh, different roles and different companies now finally getting you know. Uh, getting wise to the idea of diversity of thought and how that actually helps their bottom line and, and, you know, helps them improve as an enterprise. Um, uh, What brought you to the technology sector? Because I think you were at uh, with the, it says here the British oxygen company before that, before 128. So I I assume they make all the oxygen in in the UK or Britain. (laughs) General atmosphere. (laughs) Sorry, I'm an idiot. Yeah, so I I actually um, have been in and out of communications and in and out of tech for probably twenty years. Uh, so I um, I joined BOC out of Oracle, um, okay. and part of why I I joined there was um, that they were looking to drive a digital transformation. I mean, the product, think about oxygen or, or all industrial gases. So that's nitrogen, argon, CO2, uh, right. all of those things. I mean, that technology and that product has been around for over a hundred years. Um, and so you, you think about an industry that hasn't really experienced a lot of change, um, but actually the concept of how do you deliver digital services and products on top of that and bring technology into an industry that was relatively untouched by it, for me, was just a, a great opportunity. Um, and so, you know, we were driving, um, you know, new services and, and things like I had 14 countries in sub-Saharan Africa, and we were doing remote operations of those plants up in the north of England. And so you think about the network challenges of how do, how do you do that? And yeah. funnily enough, what I found was almost everything I wanted to do digitally uh, either lived or died by how the network performed. And right. I had met um, Patrick Malampi, who was one of the co-founders of 128 Technology at Oracle. Um, so my, my last role at Oracle was actually helping with the Acme Packet and Techelec integrations and driving the strategy and, and kind of operations of those two integrated organizations with the, the CGBU. Um, and, you know, after my, um, my, what was it? 1.7 million pound bill from Cisco for just keeping the lights on. I called Patrick and said, aren't you guys doing something new in networking? (laughs) And can it, (laughs) do I have to pay this PO to Cisco? (laughs) Right. <laughs> and so we started talking and then he told me about what the company was doing. And I just felt like between, you know, software virtualization, the whole session concept, yeah. I was like, they're really onto something and this is going to change the game in networking. And I want to be a part of it because I want to solve the problems I'm encountering, not just for my own company, but for every company. Uh, and so that was what brought me on board to, to 128 technology. It's a cool story. Yeah. Wanted to, as we close out, get your um, best piece of professional advice that you would share for other women in the industry and just a few thoughts on um, how they can continue to network and do some um, continuing education from home if possible. (laughs) You know, I'm not sure with you guys, but most of us who've worked at larger companies have this joyous experience of a development plan every year. 
And so usually it's a document that you kind of, you write, you dust off, you stick mm-hmm. it in a drawer, you ignore it. <laughs> um, but I have one that's, you know, that was, I think, game changing for me. And it was a three word development plan. And it literally said, ignore the whiners. <laughs> and I just loved it because, it, you know, for me, and I think particularly about many women, you worry about pleasing people mm-hmm. and you worry about how people are going to react to what you're doing. And the fact of the matter is you just can't please everyone mm-hmm. with every decision. You really can't. And so you need to sort out, you know, what are the really important things that that need to be done and the the important kind of reactions and emotions that people have to change. And then you need a strong filter to say, when are people just whining? And, uh, you know, how do I just move forward and do what needs to be done and ignore the whiners for the time being? Um, So that to me is a piece of professional advice that's stuck with me for years. Yeah, I like that. That's a good one. And so to your question about how to network, um, you know, I guess I'd start with don't postpone it thinking we're coming out of the pandemic and you're going to be able to get back together again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we initially we have a pretty vibrant women's group at 128 Technology and we network with other women's team and, and we delayed events and delayed events because we're like, well, we're going to wait till we get back in person. Uh, get over it. Uh, you know, if it happens, great. <laughs> but just get online and join events. So, you know, Juniper reached out to me this week. They have a great, uh, a great acronym for their women's group, which is Women in Network and Engineering. So it's called WINE. Oh, nice. <laughs> Do they meet only on Wednesdays? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why not? <laughs> and, you know, so watch for things on LinkedIn. Every event is going virtual. Um, I think all of us, suffer from not meeting new people like even just seeing the two of you on the on the on the line this morning is bringing me joy because i'm meeting new people um so just engage yeah that's that's great advice i really uh, appreciate the um the attitude of you know just plowing ahead anyway because i've, I've actually cautioned editors in our group you know and and other uh folks in in our larger parent company to stop saying the word post covid because covid isn't going anywhere you know it's going to be with us for a long time and the way we uh the way we network is you know will change over time will become more safe but i don't think it'll ever just will ever just flip a switch and go back so i i really value that advice in, uh, in terms of networking and go ahead and make those opportunities for yourself and take advantage of what's out there as opposed to waiting back, you know, and see, you know, sort of waiting for things to, you know, to completely improve because it's going to be such a long, slow process that, um, that, that you'd be just cheating yourself of that opportunity in the meantime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we all had, or certainly I had a misbegotten thought when this started that, oh, it'll be two weeks, four weeks, we'll be back in the office, things will be back to normal. Mm-hmm. And my guess is we all would have started, you know, started with a different approach if we had said, you know, it may never go back to normal. And mm-hmm. what do we do now, you know, at a personal level, at a professional level, at a company level? And so I think just recognizing that things won't be what they were before and embrace you know, embrace the ambiguity and just, uh, you know, move forward. 
as we uh, transition back to live events, we are hard at work on designing a way for um, our uh, my cats to interrupt our live events <laughs> as well as, as our uh, uh, you know our virtual events. So yes, uh, suggestion noted, and we will uh, we're, we're on we're, we're on the job. And that will bring us all unbridled joy. <laughs> <laughs> not, not my boss, but everyone else. Yes. <laughs> Thanks very much, uh, Sue Graham Johnston of 128 Technology, for your uh, for your time and insights today. Thanks for being part of the uh, Light Reading Podcast. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Kelsey. It's been a real pleasure. That's it. That's our show for today. Thanks to our amazing producer, Tian Fu, for all his hard work editing the podcast. And also a big thanks to our listeners for tuning in and sharing the podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you have any ideas about a future podcast topic or a potential guest for the show, please email us at editors at lightreading.com. Please also tell a friend to subscribe and thanks for listening to the Light Reading Podcast. We'll see you next time. This podcast is sponsored by Nokia, proud builder of IP and optical communications infrastructure, the beating heart of the networks that keep us all going. Nokia IP and Optical, the foundation for what's to come.